0: I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. If you could invite anybody to dinner, who would that be? I asked myself the same question and then sent out the invitations. Be my guest for this very special hour. Four great conversations with four of my favorite people. Marianne Williamson. I love when you say in Illuminata, a lot of people believe more in the power of AIDS to kill us. Than in the power of God to heal us. Dr. Stephen Covey.
1: The greatest gift is life. The next greatest gift is the power to direct that life. Jeff Greenfield. Why should we be taking it? something like television
2: or the movies and having to survive it.
0: And the incomparable Dr. Maya Angelou.
3: I am convinced that the majority of people are really good-hearted. I believe that.
0: The conversations I'm sharing with you today I hope could change the way you think and ultimately change the way you live your life. Before we hear from the others, I start with a woman that I think really senses the spirit of the nation's soul. Marianne Williamson is a lecturer and author of many books, including Illuminata. She's also a friend of mine, and I asked her to reflect on this past year. Do we really have the power to change
4: our world, or are those just words? The problem in America today is that most people, and I don't want to say this as, as though it needs to continue this way, but in the past anyway, most people have thought, well, it has to be this way. And what separates us out and opens the window of breakthrough is for even one person to say, "It." doesn't have to be this way. Like when you hear about a child dying, if the American people, in our minds, grew to a mass intention, it doesn't have to be this way. We intend that it not be this way, then it won't be this because way. Because intention truly rules the world. Intention it rules the world. So, what, And that is the beginning of salvation, the thought, there could be another way.
0: Well, one of the people I love to share my life with, and especially have dinner with, because there's always such wonderful conversation at the table is Dr. Maya Angelou. She's one of the wisest women I've ever known. And I asked her to join me in this special hour to talk about the intensity of feelings between the races that surfaced over this past year from the OJ trial to the Million Man March. It was a year that pointed out to many people how differently the races, especially the blacks and whites in this country, see the same events. For the first time, we're seeing how differently we see things. Is that how you see it?
3: No, I do not.
0: I didn't think so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I am convinced that there are more people who realize that human beings are more alike than we are unalike than the media gives us credit for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Uh, Tension between the races makes for the sale of newspapers and the watching of certain programs, et cetera. And so there are people who thump the drum for the differences between the races. The real truth is the majority of people look at other people, if they can get beyond their superficial fear, they can look at other people and say, you know, that's a mother I understand mothers, Mm -hmm. that's a father, he's Chinese, I understand fathers, although I'm Jewish. Or that's a a big brother, and I understand big brothers, even though this kid is a blonde and this one is black. The majority of people really in our country, I am convinced that the majority of people are really good-hearted, I believe that. Otherwise, we would see a return of the 30s in Germany. Hmm. Because African Americans have no real power. I mean, our power is spiritual power and political power in that we continue to remind people of the Constitution and what we're supposed to be about.
0: Did the OJ <clears> trial <throat> say anything about the state of race relations in this yes, country?
3: It it was excellent in that it did prove to a number of people that they were terribly afraid of Blacks. And a number of Blacks, it proved to them that the Whites were really in another world. I mean, they had not seen them. So that was a good thing. One has got to see if something good came out of something so terrible so gruesome, so grotesque. Vulgar. I remember having vulgar.
0: conversations with you about it and you were saying, it, it has become vulgar. vulgar.
3: It is vulgar. It was vulgar. And what and did you
0: think was vulgar? Our insatiable need to yes. continue to yes. feed on yes. it and that was in vulgar. It. Uh-huh.
3: The offering of it first was vulgar. And our receiving it was vulgar. Hmm. So that the offering of it was a commercial uh, activity. There were more and boxes of soap and more boxes of cereal sold on O.J. Simpson's back and poor Nicole Simpson's back and Goodman's back than that's ever been sold. So it was a commercial effort. And that was vulgar, to offer it. I mean, at no time in the day could you get away from it Mm -hmm. on television. Mm -hmm. So, and it was vulgar of us to accept it. Not enough of us had enough discipline to say, click, Did the trial click. do us
0: harm? Did the trial do us harm?
3: Well, I suppose not harm that is irreparable. Mm-hmm. We can repair the harm.
0: Or did it just show us ourselves? That's
3: what it did. It showed us how separate we have thought of ourselves. Now, I have a friend mm-hmm. who, who you know, a white woman friend, sister friend. And after the verdict came in, she phoned me, crying. She said, Maya, I can't believe myself. She said, the verdict has almost killed me. So I said, why? I asked why. She said, do you know, as soon as I heard it, the first word that jumped out of my mouth was nigger. Mm. This is a woman I love. I'm the godmother of her children. We both started crying. She said, help me. I said, help me to help you. Of course, of course. You see people who mean to be good, mean to be honest, mean to be fair, mean to be open, hoping for justice and even mercy. When they really realize that they too are victims of racism, white and black, Mm -hmm. Spanish speaking, Asian, Native American, that we are all victims of it, it shocks people. If they have enough courage, they will say, listen, I don't mean to be like this.
0: How do you explain to millions of people who yet do not understand the response from a number of black people who seem to be rejoicing in the streets?
3: I don't understand it. I disagree with it. I was appalled at it. I'm not pleased. Nobody wins. That's the situation. We all lose. It is no question. I mean uh, that John Donne was absolutely right. In four centuries ago when he said, "Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Mm-hmm. The death of every human being diminishes me." And one has to understand that somewhere down behind the kneecap. So I don't understand the rejoicing. I don't commend the rejoicing. I understand that maybe people thought that Mr. Furman was proven to be a racist. And in that, there was something to rejoice. But to rejoice just like that, I, I totally disagree.
0: Why did you attend the Million Man March?
3: Ah, well, I was asked. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always a good question. <laughs> there were no.
0: people who called me, I told you this, that people were writing me to tell me, to tell you, that you shouldn't go. And I said, She doesn't tell me how to do television. I don't tell her how to write books or run her life. That's
3: true. That's part of our great love for each other. Yes, it is.
0: It seems to work. Yes, Yes, it's
3: worked these years. One, I'm the mother of a black man, the grandmother of a black man, the daughter and sister and beloved and friend and niece of black men. And I thought. That it was a wonderful idea that black men would come together ensemble and say, first to themselves and secondly to black women, sorry. Sorry for the years of neglect. Sorry for the years of, of abuse. We atone. In our coming together, we are saying to ourselves and to black women, sorry. Now, Oprah if that is the most important thing any human being can say to another human being. You see, that's what you say to God, Mm. is I'm sorry. That is repentance. That is forbearance. That is forgiving oneself. So when black men chose to come together to say to themselves and to black women, sorry, that ennobled everybody. And you see another thing. As I've gone around the country, you know, all the time, I have found white men who meet me in airports, on planes, at universities, who say, thank you for what you said at the Black Man's March. White men, not just white women and black women, white men who are proud of the march. Somebody has to tell that story. Somebody must ring the bells for that. All people are not brutes. The thinkers should think. And I think we've we've relinquished our ability to think too frequently and too profoundly to television, to the mind shapers, which really are not concerned about us, about our living our lives with some grace and style not helping us to live with passion and compassion. The truth is the mind shapers just want us to keep us in mean little tunnels, narrow little mean paths at their whim and for their convenience. And we've given up something, which Americans must take back. We must take back our our spirits, our land, our idea about democracy. We've got to do it. Nobody's going to give it to us.
0: Do you think that part of the problem, I've had this discussion over the years with various people who work in in, in social areas who say that part of the problem of racism in this country is there has not been an apology or an acknowledgement that it even exists. And on the part of a number of white people in particular Mm. in this country, there's a feeling that people think, or up until this year thought that everything's okay and that racism doesn't exist as long as I don't use the word nigger.
3: (laughs) Well, that's a good start. I mean, (laughs) I would say that. (laughs) Uh, But um, I'm not impressed, as you said some weeks ago, when somebody said, I never think of you as black. Uh, Well, wait, I do want you to think of me. Me as black. I've been black black a long
0: time. (laughs) I think what people intend by that is,
3: I see your soul. I see your spirit is what they mean but they have not had to articulate exactly what they mean. So they think they're passing a compliment. And they say, I never think of you as black. But wait a minute now. What you really mean is you think that I am like you, which is a good thing because only equals make friends. Right. Any other relationship is out of balance. It's paternalistic, maternalistic, it's something. Mm -hmm. But equals can make friends. So I have to think of you as a human being. As you all know, Maya is
0: one of my mentors. One night, I called her. I was going through some trauma. She says, what is it, baby? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said, stop, wait. Whatever it is, thank God first. First, you thank God because it shows that you have the faith to know that whatever it is, God will handle it. Isn't that a great lesson? Isn't that great? So I know you talk to God often. What would God have to say about this condition we're in with ourselves over the color of our skin?
3: If God looks at us and it says in Spanish, uh, (laughs) get in there. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? I've sent my son to this place. I've had Moses over here. I've had Buddha over here. I've had the mountain, the Shinto's for the, you know. I've had the rising sun over there. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> I had Muhammad here. And all these teachers have taught you something about life, about trying to love it, about trying to be fair and kind and generous. So if God doesn't say anything, but mm, 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 <laughs> I would understand. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Maya Angelo. Thank you. Well, I have a lot of admiration for my next guest for his mind. I love smart people and great insight. Jeff Greenfield is ABC's political and media analyst and author of a novel called *The People's Choice*, a cautionary tale. I'm always fascinated by Jeff because he doesn't just report, he kinda digs underneath and tells us what the story means to our lives. And we talked about how the media sank in 95. Do you notice a trend toward evil winning? You know, there used to be, in, in, oh, yeah. certainly in the movies and, and television, yeah. that the good guys always won. It, it didn't would, matter. You didn't have to, like, hold your breath so hard.
2: No, it used to be in the production code of Hollywood specifically that, that bad guys couldn't win. Bad guys couldn't and win. And also, if you, if you even hinted at committing, like, adultery, lightning was supposed to strike you dead. I mean, uh-huh. there were a lot of very strict rules. What I think that's happened now, and, and here I guess I have to contradict myself, but mm-hmm. what the heck, and think that something's changed for the worse, is that we use evil as almost a kind of pornography that is there's a kind of titillation and fascination about it
0: Mm -hmm.
2: it's not that that literature and great art didn't always deal with evil you couldn't have drama without it right but but the fact now that we use wretched and grotesque deaths and dismemberment the gorier the better and now thanks to computer animation we can do anything to a human body on screen and i think we do it more for the titillation of it i also think bad writing a lot, a lot of people in Hollywood think if, you, if you've written a bad script or you just have a lousy movie, just throw in eight more decapitations and the audience will come see it. The feeding of that does bother me, yes. Don't you think
0: we should be ashamed of ourselves?
2: Uh, well, I think, the, I think the loss of shame is one of the reasons all this happens. It's not that I think the government should come in and tell us what we should see and shouldn't see. That's always a bad idea. But yeah, I, I, more than that, I think the people who produce the garbage, the people who sponsor the garbage, the station executives on television who put some of this garbage on the air should, in fact, I, I think I've, I've written them. I don't think I know I've written You've written, yes. I have this fantasy where some very important person in Hollywood gets a phone call, a really big shot from the White House. And they say, you know, you're on our list for the president's state dinner. Uh-huh. next week, but we just took a look at that talk show that you produce, or that movie, and, and it's really disgusting, and the President really doesn't want you in the White House. That and, is a uh, fantasy. It, well, or somebody calls up and says, you know, you've given a lot of money to this charity, and we were gonna name you Humanitarian of the Year, because we know that's important to you, but we've looked at the product that your, that your studio has put out over the last year, and frankly, it's so inconsistent with what, what we think is, is good stuff that we just can't do it, and we'll just have to find our money elsewhere. I know it's a fantasy. Right. But I'm entitled.
0: And isn't it the reason why it is such a fantasy is because what happens as the producers and the, the sponsors and the people who create a lot of the, the violence and negativity in the media, that you
2: are really kind of rewarded for it. Absolutely. You're rewarded financially. Correct. And what else happens is... and this So is how
0: the, do we change that, that well, people don't get rewarded financially? Isn't that the people who well, watch? Isn't that their responsibility? Uh,
2: look, there's no question that there is an awful lot... Of responsibility that has to be put right smack out there not the least of which is the responsibility for hypocrisy we take surveys and people say well we want to see more high quality drama and documentaries on television Right. yeah
0: that's what y'all say people also say yeah Yeah. that's
2: right people also say they read playboy for the interviews
0: do you think if something doesn't happen if the if it it isn't changed or somehow stopped that in two years the executives will be doing hardcore porn they probably because wouldn't... our sense of shame seems to me that our ability to accept the most crude and violent and discouraging kind of information, we become more and more tolerant of that.
2: The optimist in me says, if enough people start saying, look, this is a serious dilemma, it's not that I think the country will fall apart. This is a very strong country. People have good, good morals, basically. They, are, they, they mean well. We can survive. But the question is, why should we be taking something like television or the movies and having to survive it? It ought to be, there ought to be a lot more stuff that nurtures. I also think you can get big audiences nurturing. You can be funny and nurture. You can even do smart, sexy shows and nurture. You know, the the good sitcoms, the ones that I like the best, they they make a fortune for the people. They're written with intelligence. They're written with wit. Mm -hmm. They can talk about interesting issues. They're not Ozzie and Harriet in terms of how they regard sexual relations. Mm -hmm. But they're not smarmy, they're not exploiting, if I can turn to what I consider the, the really toxic daytime, quote, talk show stuff, mm-hmm. they don't exploit the grief and pain of people for the titillation of audiences who are the kind of people who stand under ledges and root for people to jump, which yeah. is, the, that's the worst of that stuff. They don't do those yeah. things.
0: And then people talk about their constitutional rights to say it, and, and yeah, you made an interesting comment about when, when they were writing the Constitution and talking about freedom of speech, nobody, first of all, could ever predict
2: what talk shows would be. But beyond that, that argument is the phoniest argument of them all. Nobody is saying to these talk show hosts, you don't have a constitutional right to do it. The question is, what in God's name are you doing doing it? You know,
0: that's the point. You ever thought about who you would love to invite to dinner for a great meal and some conversation? Well, recently I got to sit down with four of my favorite people, truly great minds, to explore their insights on the state of our nation. One person was ABC correspondent, Jeff Greenfield, who had no problem speaking his mind, particularly about that OJ trial.
2: But I found it interesting during, the, during this recent trial in Los Angeles, you might've heard about, um, that uh, people constantly came up to me and said- Can that, we
0: talk about the trial?
2: But they also, but the first thing people said was, it's too much, it's disgusting. And by the way, did you notice that? And yeah. they knew every nook and cranny of that case. So sure people, Ultimately, people have to stop devouring this stuff.
0: What did that all mean for media, the country, people who watched? What did it all mean? You're so good at this. It meant
2: there was too much, there's too much media.
0: Is that what it meant? I really
2: think so. Look, this kind of trial would have been big news in 1895, in 1925. It was. The Lindbergh baby kidnap case Mm -hmm, riveted mm -hmm, the world. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The difference is that with most stories, there's a separation. In other words, Nightline doesn't really care much about Heather Locklear, and Hard Copy hasn't devoted a lot of time to the NAFTA or balanced budget debates. Correct. With this case, everybody wanted a piece of it, and since there is now massive media coverage of everything, there are dozens of cable channels. I don't know how many newspapers, ranging from the New York Times to the to the National Slob, everybody was covering the story. And and here's where they're responsible. We never caught up to the appetite of the audience. I couldn't believe this part of it. I was sure after three or four months, people would say, hey, you know, we have a life.
0: hmm Nobody ever did, or not enough people did.
2: It just kept, it was the energizer bunny of stories. It just kept going and going and going. <laughs> and it, that's the part that I think got Isn't us. Isn't
0: one of the problems is that now it becomes more and more difficult to differentiate between what is tabloid you reporting. Bet. Versus what is
2: supposedly journalism? Versus what? What can you believe? We've now come to the point where the saga of Joey Badafuko, that Long Island auto repair guy and his misadventures, is national news. And he, here's the part where you want to get a taxi and go back to planet Earth. He became a celebrity.
0: I know. He became it's disgusting. Rich. But we did that.
2: Yes, we did. But what we I'm saying, did that. what I'm saying here is, even granted the fact that there's an appetite for this, the folks who produce movies, and television, and records, I believe have a responsibility not always to feed that appetite. I mean, if the argument is the audience wants to mm-hmm. see it- Right. I'm, I'm suggesting, in other words, we have to be better than that.
0: Does it start with the powerful, rich people who control it, or what responsibility do all the people sitting in this room and the people at home have? for stopping it, because I'm, the, what I question is, is it, you say, okay, so that executive or whoever's putting on the talk shows Can or I give you an example. violent movies, that's not an extension of them, is it an extension of what they want to see? Is it a
2: reflection of who we are? Even if it is a reflection, it's the reflection of the worst of us. I'm suggesting that there's room for hypocrisy here. Even if you secretly wanna watch this stuff, you know in your hearts you shouldn't. And therefore, it's up to people who have a voice in the media to say something about it.
0: One of the things that bothers me and disturbs a lot of you too about news is that it seems to just continually repeat the problem. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Covey has this this saying that when you repeat the problem, the problem gets repeated. You see the news story about yet another postal worker goes in and shoots up his coworkers. And then three days later, there's another one someplace in the United States. So what is the point?
2: I think what we, this is not the audience's responsibility. This is the journalist's responsibility is maybe to try to slow down a little and make some sense of this, an arena where the news, I think what you're talking about is a feeling that you sit there and the news pours over you.
0: I feel overwhelmed by it. I feel like, and then why, what is this doing for me? Mm -hmm. In the end, are you hopeful?
2: Oh yeah, I, I mean, part of me is almost ludicrously optimistic about the world. I'll put it to you this way. It sounds like a paradox. The thing I'm pessimistic about is that people aren't optimistic enough. They don't take any energy or hope from the genuinely good things that have happened. Even with respect to the media, there's a lot of awful stuff on, but you know, 15 years ago on television, there was no Nightline, and there was no CNN, and there was no McNeil era, and there was no Oprah. So? A good thing has happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. So? Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for the insight. When it comes to strengthening the family, I believe my next guest really has some great answers. Dr. Stephen Covey is lecturer and author, also a friend. He's written several books, including Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and his latest audio cassette series, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And if you follow it, his message could hopefully change your family and the way your family operates forever. How can you begin to lead a more principle-filled life? I know you and I know this. What we're trying to share with millions of other people is that if you allow yourself to be motivated by a set of principles, moral, spiritual principles in your life, that most of the things that you think that you you must have, and that all the things that you're seeking, will come to you in a more fulfilling and in, and in a more natural sense of abundance.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I think that. You have to, first of all, decide what are those principles. Mm -hmm. And you must look at all dimensions of your life, Uh, the principle of, say, unity with God and unity with other people, the principle of respect for others, for all others, the principle of integrity, so that you give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, that you're honest with people, the principle of service, that you try to make a difference and contribute to other people's lives. So once you've decided what these principles are, then you develop a kind of philosophical statement. I call it a mission statement, which gives you the framework to set goals. Mm -hmm. And I think— Because a
0: lot of people are just out there setting goals. They're setting
1: setting goals, goals and they're climbing this ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall because they haven't dealt with the deepest part of their nature. Okay. They're accomplishing their goals, see? But then they come up often empty. They often sacrifice their health or their children or their integrity or the spirit of service within them.
0: Over the years and thousands of shows, talk shows I've done talking to dysfunctional families, it seems to me that the erosion of the American family is one of the leading problems and or symptoms of all of the other horrifying dynamics that we're experiencing in this country. How do we get back to it?
1: I think that first of all, the very awareness of what you've said is almost the first step that The seedbed of almost all social problems is the breakup of the American family. Absolutely. And I think that uh, once you sense that and you say, okay, now what's my responsibility with my family and the families that I can influence for good, so that this does not happen, and each family has to decide what is it that's tearing at our family? Mm -hmm. And what is it that keeps us from communicating meaningfully with each other? And to stay close together and to have empathy and understanding and caring about each other Because
0: if you can't do it in your families then you can't expect the rest of the world to reach out to each other if you can't that, do that's it, That's your
1: major sewership. So that, yeah. yeah, you have to take care of your own Initially, then you can reach out and part of your family mission statement would be to reach out and to serve other families And to try to contribute see and to make a difference. So I think that you have to, in a sense, get into a state of mind with your family. And I think the beginning of a year is a perfect time to develop a family mission statement. And you discuss that and interact and then come up with a few ideas and write them down.
0: How that can be done within your family.
1: Right, how that can be done and how important, let's say, the family dinner is. How you're gonna handle television because in so many families it dominates.
0: Kids watch three hours of television a day on the average, spend 20 minutes a day with their mother, and five minutes a day with their father, if the father is in the home.
1: That's amazing, see? It's, it's such a, an easy escape from any sense and of... And then we ask, what happened? I Why know. is the country going <laughs>
0: the way it's going? Why are kids shooting each other in the streets? <laughs> it's crazy.
1: I know. It's crazy. But let's start where we are. Start, you know, with our own responsibilities and uh, get focused upon this, and then, The key is once you have a mission statement, use it. Keep reviewing it. Go back to it again and again and again and review it. And if you falter, so what? Just keep coming back to it. So are you saying that the way you begin to take control is to first decide
0: what it is you want?
1: I think so. Mm -hmm. First decide what's important. Your greatest gift is life. The next greatest gift is the power to direct that life. A couple must decide, how are we going to solve our problems? Maybe you fought in your family, and maybe I flighted, mm-hmm. but let us agree to communicate. Spend a little more time listening. We have two ears, one mouth. We should use them accordingly. I'm honestly convinced that the greatest need people have is to feel valued and appreciated and understood. And that by listening to them, genuinely listening, from within their frame of reference, they come to feel this. Are you hopeful? I am very optimistic. I'm asked that all the time. and. I don't feel much pessimism or a sense of futility or hopelessness. I guess it's because I believe that we have the power within us to make a difference. Therefore, don't give up on the future.
0: Well, after that interview, Dr. Covey shared such a beautiful story with me. He said that when he watched his children being born, he could not contain his love for his wife because he talks about children being born and also when people die. It's the breaking of the veil between the spirit world and the world of the flesh. And that really, when you are born, it is the spirit of God entering the flesh and coming into the world. And his wife, who's had a lot of children, Sandra, hi. He could not contain himself for that, for that love. I was so moved by that. It is so important to complete the hour, I think, with my next guest, Mary Ann Williamson helps make sense of such confusing times and helps us to weave together all we've heard today with hope, faith, and wisdom. When you look back on 1995, what is in terms of the state of the world?
4: I think evil has been loosed. Evil has been loosed among us. But it can be put back into the room from whence it came. It can be put back into the nothingness from whence it came. We live in a country, for instance, where AIDS, cancer, violence, criminality, drug addiction, they all say to the human being, we're here now, so you leave. You die because we're here. And when we remember who we are, when we own what Maya Angelou calls the wisps of glory Uh that trail behind us, then we will remember who we are. We will own the power of divine consciousness, and we will turn to AIDS and cancer and criminality and violence and say, no, you don't understand. We're here. You
0: I love when you say in Illuminata, a lot of people believe more in the power of AIDS to kill us than in the power of God to heal us. Than in the power of God to heal us.
4: And so we can't own. There's a line in the Course of Miracles: miracles arise from conviction. It takes the power. My Angelou also talks about the power of words. We don't yet own the power to say those words. You go. We don't because we don't yet have the thought that that God is more powerful than AIDS. So we, we're really intimidated by the cancer cell. We're intimidated by the, by the AIDS virus. And once we remember that God is in our hearts, we will know that Those things, it's like when you put a crucifix in front of, of the vampire, the vampire has to move back. When Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz poured water on the Wicked Witch, she melted away. Really, darkness is afraid of light, but we don't know that. When we allow the light to return to our minds, then the balance of power shifts. So the problem is is not evil, the problem is that we are not picking up the tools of light. Now the positive aspect of awakening, the positive aspect of looking around and going, this is not working, means that it's the first step in our national recovery. Because once we get that there's a way of thinking which does not produce the results we want, once we get there a way of doing things which do not produce the results we want, then we begin to consider the possibility of thinking and acting another way. And that's what I think is breaking through today, the idea that we could do it different. And once we know we must do it different in order to give our children the world we want and we can do it differently, then I think there's a breakthrough in the sense of possibility. You know, I have your prayer taped to my mirror
0: upstairs, the daily prayer. I love the part, Dear God, into where you always abide, mm-hmm. where you already abide. But isn't it hard? It's so hard. May my mind stay centered on the things of spirit is one of the lines from the prayer. May I not be tempted to stray from love. But I find, and I'm sure all of you do too, as you start out in your life and your life intention is as mine is, is to be used as an instrument of God, to just to be a vessel and to let whatever that power is to, to come through me. It's hard sometimes when people start getting on your nerves.
4: Of course it's hard. Yes. <laughs> of course it's hard. Mm-hmm. But on the days when we meditated in the morning it's mm-hmm. not as hard on the days when we prayed in the morning, it's not as hard. All the great sacred traditions talk about the power of morning meditation and morning prayers. Because if, if the mind is, is, is delivered into the hands of God in the morning, mm-hmm. there's a power of spirit and grace to dominate our thought forms throughout the day. So I think we have to support each other in practice. Yeah, it's hard to keep your body in shape. It's hard to, to, to keep all the stuff that we want to have yeah, And happen, I do what you say in Illuminata.
0: It. I do before I even take the first sip of caffeine in the morning mm-hmm. and before I hit the track. I have my moments with God
4: mm-hmm.
0: before that, before mm-hmm. all that other stuff. I allow all that other stuff to It's enter. like
4: physical exercise, spiritual exercise. If you do it, it works. And if you don't do it, it can't Are you hopeful, Marianne? I'm extremely hopeful. First of all, I think hope itself is a moral imperative. Being cynical is just an excuse for not helping. Mm-hmm. Hope itself is a is a way that you hold a a context of, of faith.
0: If you had to, I ask, what your wish for what people could really get? And I know you cross the country and even the world now, trying to spread the message, letting people understand that we are trailing whistle of glory, number one, but that we are God in the flesh, that God is in us, around us, above us, and through us, as Paul said. What would be your desire, your utmost desire, for people to get?
4: That if we all pray together enough, deeply, the problems of our world
0: will disappear. I don't know if you know this, all across the country people are saying Mandela
4: said this. Yeah, that quote from Return to Love. Return to Love, where you talk about our deepest fear is our own glory. Yeah, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure through the grace of God. That's what we hide from. We don't hide from our darkness. We hide from our light. We're hiding from our own light when we think only government spending can heal AIDS or only the science can heal AIDS. We're hiding from our own light every time we think, well, if only we get the right politician, he can fix the country. Because if we weren't hiding from our own light, we would all say, in the name of God. In the name of God, whatever is stalking our children, in the name of God, you be gone. In the name of God, we place a mystical shield of protection around our children. In the name of God, we set a drug, all drug addiction. Get out of the hearts and souls of our children. In the name of God, I tell you, be gone to the nothingness from whence you came. In the name of God, you get out of our neighborhoods. In the name of God, you get out of our streets. In the name of God, you get away from our children. In the name of God, you get away from our beloveds, from our husbands, from our wives, from our brothers, from our sisters. In the name of God, you go. And darkness, when it is told in the name of God to be gone, has to go. That's the universal principle. AIDS doesn't have to go just because science tells it to go. But it has to go when God tells it to go. And God talks through people until that reconnection is made where we say in His name. If we just say it, it doesn't have to go. And if God just says it, but without a human mouthpiece, it doesn't have to go. When we own those wisps of glory, this is, this is huge. But we're on the brink. That's what I believe.